This podcast is brought to you by jewishpodcasts.org. Start your very own podcast today at jewishpodcasts.org. Good. Parshki Seitz, 5781, everyone. Parashat Pei Pasek This is toward the end of the Parsha. The Parsha says, and this is really the last mitzvah that's mentioned being Adam Lechavero throughout the whole Torah. Evan Shlema Vatzedek Yalach. That you have to have a stone that's perfect and honest. Like a weight that's perfect and honest. Eifa Shlema Vatzedek Yalach. And so to an honest and perfect measure. And Eifa is a measurement. So that your days are lengthened on the earth that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is giving you. So Rashi says the line that if you cheat in your weights and measures, then you'll end up with no money at all. On the other hand, if you're honest in your business and you do things properly of correct weights and measures, you will have long life. And that's the end of the Pasuk, you'll have long life. I've always wondered, you know, there's a bunch of words that they say about Shiloh HaKan and Kibra Ve'em, that those are the only two that promise you long life. This one clearly promises you long life. I have no idea why it's not mentioned with the other two. It doesn't make any sense. We also have in Shema that we say every single day in Parshas Vayomer. I don't know why that's not mentioned either. Either way, the Ibn Ezra explains that righteousness is like a building. Cheating is like knocking it down, like destruction. Building something up takes time and effort. You don't just build everything in a day. Rome wasn't built in a day, right? It doesn't happen that way. You have to build it up slowly. However, when it comes to a, a demolition, you can see it. Just one knock with that huge ball. And you knock down the entire building and everything comes crashing down all at once. If you cheat in your business, if you're not honest with your business dealings, yes, it takes a long time to build up your reputation to being an honest businessman, but you do one thing and you come crashing down, whether that's the audit that comes from the IRS or that's a, something that Chas Hashem sends a person to jail. It's one thing that you can get caught on. And that's why it's so important to remember this, that the damage is immediate. That's how the Ibn Ezra puts it. The Sforno adds, not only does a Kaddish Baruch who despise the lying and cheating, etc., he despise, uh, despises items that are used for evil purposes. He doesn't want Claudius still going anywhere near stuff like that. You can't have these cheating measures in your house, even if you're not planning on using them. Just saying like, oh, well, I had this and I didn't want to get rid of it right away. I wanted to show people what it was like. That's usher. Because the Sahara is tremendous for such a thing. And once you have it, you may come to use it. The Torah Tamima adds that having it around may cause others to think that they're allowed to use them. After all, this very honest businessman is doing this himself, then can't we do this as well? That's the thought process that they're going to think. They'll think it's Minna Medina to cheat a little bit when it comes to it. You could be off by a little bit here and there, and that should be perfectly fine. That's the thought process. In fact, Torah Tamima says that the Gemara says that we have guards that were set in place to check the weights and measures in every place. We'll have a story about that a little bit later. The Kliakr says it may have been common practice to be able to choose certain weights that were cheating and then use the others that were normal. So when people test you, you'd have these normal weights that have all the normal amounts on them, right? But whenever you can, you would use that and use these other weights that are a little bit off, that are going to be a little bit off. And you do it more often and more often and more often. It says a Kliyakar, that's what a lot of people used to do, and that's obviously evil. In Mishle, in Parak Yudal of Pasuk Aleph, it calls it Mosne Mirma, 
scales of trickiness because he's using the correct weights and measures in order to trick others. So therefore, it's us to have the bad weight around because it's making even your correct measures off a little bit. That's the real evil behind it. And that's where a mully comes into play, the very next Parsha, the very, very end of Parsha Kisites is showing how B'nai Yisrael's hypocrisy, right, is right there for the taking, that everybody realizes how much they've been lying, they're trying to do stuff like that. Now, the Divri Shol, this is where Shol Mi Amsterdam says that when it comes to chukim, laws that we don't truly understand, we're supposed to say, I would like to eat pig, but I know I'm not allowed to. Right, you're in a place where there's a lot of not kosher food, right? You can say, you can, you're not just allowed to say, you're supposed to say, I wish I could eat this, but I'm not allowed to do that. Says the Divrei Shol, that's usher to do with mitzvot sichlios, things that make sense, like gezel, such as these types of things, ritzicha. You can't go around saying, I wish I could murder, but I can't, because Hashem told me not to. You can't do that. And why? Because that's part of your midos. It's normal to say, I don't want to do shotness. I don't know why it's a problem. I don't want to be ushered to eat pig. I'd like to eat pig, but I can't. That's something normal. Because that's something we don't understand. We have no idea why it's usher and we can't do it. That's one thing. But doing something which really makes sense, keep it off the aim, murder, etc., to go around and say, I wish I could murder, breeds within you bad midos. That you're not allowed to say. So therefore, it's the same thing over here. You cannot even have it in your house, says the Divrei Shol. Because if you put a weight like that inside your house, you're going to say to yourself, I want to use it. The same way that I'm not allowed to say, I wish I could cheat people, but I can't, so I won't. What you, you wish you could cheat people? Then eventually you will come to cheat people. That's what happens when you keep saying something like that. And when it's something that's sickly, you'll convince yourself that it's going to be mutter. That's the problem, says the Divrei Shol. Not getting around, you're not allowed to do stuff like that. Rev Hirsch, says amazingly, he says the placement of these halachos next to a parsha of Arias which is beforehand, taken out of there but it's in Sefer Vayikra in Sefer Vayikra we go through the Arias all the people you're not allowed to be not allowed to be with, and right after that it goes through the measurements, the weights and measurements and does the same basic line as we have over here, it's showing you that someone who's dishonest in his business is so despised by Hashem, it's equal to being together with someone they're not allowed to be together with. Now, this is interesting. In fact, the Gemara says, it's worse than Arias. But Arias, it says, Hatoevos Ha'el. It doesn't say the word Ha'el at these. It says Ha'el, as in these, but not with the full word. By these Midos, it uses the word Ela to show you that it's even worse than the Arias. That cheating in one's business and doing something terrible is worse than being together with someone they're not allowed to be together with, which is an absolute unbelievable thing to think about. The reason why is because there's no restitution. If you've been cheating in weights and measures your whole life, let's say you're measuring out flour and it's always a little bit off, how are you supposed to pay all those people back? There could have been hundreds, maybe thousands of people that came to your store. You have no idea how much you've taken from them. You have no idea how much you cheated. There's nothing you can do. All you can do is sorche tzibor, heal the tzibor, you know, do stuff for the tzibor itself. If they need something, you can do something for them. But even then, that's not a real amount of tshuva. So the Rashbam and Tosim, Baba Basra, Pechesim, and Allah talk about this, the Panim Yafos over here, that flaw as well, says, Refersh, there's nothing you can do. You've lost out on everything in your life because you cheated you can't pay that back. You lost out on everything. Says the Chidah, he was extremely strong about the Easter of cheating others in business. He says there are five things 
that cheating in one's business causes. Number one, it's metame the land. Number two, it causes a chil Hashem, and I think we all understand that. Number three, it takes away the shechina. Number four, it causes warfare to come about. I think that's a natural reaction. Most wars stem from distrust in dealings between one country to the other. I think that's obvious in and of itself. And number five, gullus. Gullus has in caused our exile. Clearly there's more, because the Gemara tells us that a Malik comes when we cheat others. When we're off on Ben Adam Lechavero, that's when a Malik comes to play, when he comes up against us. He even says that if we steal from non-Jews, aside from the Chil Hashem involved, which we know is Usr, it's a different issue if it's Hashav Zaveda by an Anju, etc. But if there's a Chil Hashem involved and you're stealing from a guy, look at what happens. He says that the Malach of that nation goes and is Makane against us in Shemayim. He takes away our Shefa that we're supposed to get and takes it for themselves and takes it away from us completely. That's allowing the Satan cause more Kitrugim accusations in Shemayim that it could be even worse that when we take for ourselves from another non-Jew, again, stealing from them, that could cause something that happens even worse in Shemayim because of the amount that comes with it. The Abarbanel says, there's no point. There's no point in doing it. Why? Because the Kaddish Baruch already has your plan set. He knows what you're going to make. Your amount of parnas, as we know, is already set from Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. If you try cheating this way by taking away money from somebody else by doing this, then you're going to lose money somewhere else. You're going to have something. A simple, simple thing, Okay. Obviously, I was supposed to give more tzedakah this year. How do I know? Because we had the city stickers that you're supposed to put inside your car. We had them. We completely forgot to put them up. Completely forgot. Just me and my daughter, both of us, and both of our cars. My wife's car is in the garage, but both of our cars are on the street. We just forgot, right? So we both got tickets over Shabbos. Both got tickets on Shabbos. On Shabbos, I was like, all right, we got to remember to put it up, right? We totally forgot again. On Thursday, we got a second pair of tickets, so yes, it's possible I can go to the cops and explain, like, I'm sorry, I, I didn't mean to, and you just gave it to me on Shabbos and whatever it is, right? But that's $50 each per ticket. It's Lincolnwood, so it's a little cheaper than Chicago. But $50 each per ticket, right? It's $100 per car now, 200 bucks For what? For something silly, because I had the city sticker. I just completely forgot to put it up. And I was out of town during the week, so I didn't have time to do it myself, and I trusted my daughter, and my daughter forgot. And that's it. 200 bucks. That's what ends up happening. See, the apartment else tells you cheat one way, it's going to happen another way. Something else is going to happen. So obviously, I was supposed to do this money. I was supposed to give $200 a duck or $100 a duck in some way, shape, or form that I didn't give. So in the end, that's how it comes. That's how it comes out. Yeah. I mean, how do you make that? I mean, I understand. How do you make that logic? Right? I, 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 I'm only doing it after the fact for myself. I'm not going to tell other people that. Making bad decisions when it's something that's in your hands to do and it was so clear, but right? You're saying it's a process? Yeah, I'm saying it's a process. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm saying that this should be obvious. This was completely my mistake, and it was something that was so silly. Because I'm not killing somebody. I just forgot about it. Why did I Kodesh Baruch let me forget about it, so to speak? Like that would be the idea. Like how could I Kodesh Baruch like I had it in my head? I knew I had it. It was sitting on my desk. The silly little stickers. Like, I, 
it was just silly. It was just a silly thing. And when I went, I went earlier today to go see if I could, whatever it is. They're like, were you displaying it? He said, the ticket is for not displaying it, not having it, but for not displaying it. It's just that just silly. It's unbelievably silly. Rav Schwab says there are two chiyuvei amuna in this world. In Sefer Shmos, they wondered, is HaKadosh Baruch Hu with us or not? Because they didn't believe HaKadosh Baruch Hu's Hashkacha was continuous. They didn't think HaKadosh Baruch Hu was taking care of all of their needs. They didn't think Hashem was there for them. They thought that he left it up to the natural ways of the world. There are certain things that happen in the world, and that's that. In that sense, you can understand why someone may cheat on his way to measures. He doesn't believe that a Kaddish Baruch was in charge of everything. He thinks that, yeah, Hashem does certain things, but other things are on me, and I should take care of them myself. That's the wrong idea behind it. When you have that lack of emuna in Hashem, that Hashem is taking care of everything, then Vayavo Amalek. That's when a mully comes in, and a mully who doesn't believe in any amuna punishes you for having that lack of amuna. That's a beautiful piece from Schwab. He goes on a little bit about if you want to look at the Mayan based Shueva. But the Miyam always speaks about this at length. There's no way to go against the Kaddish Baruch Hu's plan. The idea from the Abarbanel, thinking that you can do so is pure apicorsis, he says. The only solution for this is you have to learn more Torah. You have to learn more. You have to understand what it means that a Kaddish Baruch Hu is taking care of us. You have to spend more time in a base measures learning the ideas of what a Kaddish Baruch Hu is in charge of what happens under the tutelage of a great Rebbe, he calls it. Otherwise, you will remain in Amaretz, thinking that you can do your own thing for the rest of your life. Why would you want that? One thing, he says, that a person can do is say, Hashem all the time. And I'll tell you, I was turned against this when I was a little kid, because in third grade, I had a Rebbe who always used to say, Hashem to me. Always, always, always. And I couldn't stand it. Because I'd say, like, when is recess, Rabbi? Emir Hashem. And I would be like, I hate Emir Hashem. I was so against it because I was a third grader. I, like, I, it was not the time to be able to teach me such a concept. For me, maybe for me, I'm sure other kids are totally different. But for me, it was not there. But for us, it's an important lesson to know that when we're saying something, we have in mind that if a Kaddish Baruch Hu wants it, then a Kaddish Baruch Hu will let it be. And to have that in our head... He says, that the eights of HaKadosh Baruch Hu will last. He, Hey Yod Aleph, is again the Rashi Tevis of Im Yirza Hashem. The Im Yirza Hashem. I guess it's the Hey from Hashem because otherwise it would be, there's no He. It would be Aleph Yud Yud if it's Yudke Vavke. But Im Yirza Hashem itself. And he says it's a school. Went by, so yeah, if, it's, it's a school to buy and sell things that way. That way, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is Shagur Bethiv. He's always around. Now, I'm going to tell you a story. This story is brought by the Miam Lois. I don't know the veracity. I don't know the source of this story. It says, one time there was a wealthy man who had a lot of land, but not enough oxen to plow his field. So he took a large sum of money. He went to the marketplace. There was a city over, two cities over, in order to buy a bunch of oxen to be able to bring them back to be able to plow his fields, right? So as he was going, Elio and Avi met him. And he said to him, where are you going? And he said, I'm going to buy oxen, right? So Elio and Avi told him, you should say him your Hashem. Right? Amir Tashem, I'm going to buy some oxen. So man said back, whether he wants it or not, the money's in my pocket and the shook's right over there. I'm going to buy the oxen and that's that. Right? So Elionavi told him, You're gonna be missing a certain amount of Hatzlacha by not saying Amir Tashem. Don't you should say those words. Unfortunately, what happened was his wallet was stolen from him. He went back with nothing. So he went back again. This time he didn't want to meet this guy. Right, Elio and Avi. So he went in a different direction. Again, Elio and Avi appeared to him in a different form. Right, and he said to him, where are you going? He said, to buy some oxen. He said, say, Emir Tashem. He said, whatever, whether, whether he wants it or not, I've got the money in my pocket. I'm going, whatever it is. And once again, the guy fell into a deep slumber this time. The money was taken by Elio and Avi himself, and that's that. 
Third time, he goes back, right? And he goes to the marketplace, same way the first time, right? He meets up with Elionavi again. Elionavi said, where are you going? He said, I'm going to buy oxen in Mirz Hashem. And he said, oh, you learned your lesson, right? So at this point, right, he returned the money back to him and he said, here, I was just teaching you a lesson. Now, the truth is, I wonder if it was Elionavi or just a guy who was trying to teach him that lesson because that would be awesome. So three times. It's unbelievable, right? I, I don't know. It would be unbelievable. It was just, you know, like, it was John. <laughs> John just stole, stole his money and showed him the lesson. Either way, regardless, he realized how much he should get. He ended up buying more oxen than he needed. He eventually sold them at a huge profit and ended up making a huge money and became very, very wealthy for the end of his life. Says to me, I'm always, see what happens when you say the words of Mirza Hashem. So again, I've grown older and I understand it. I get the concept. The concept is, is that when I write a sheet of paper, I should write Bissiata Deshmaya on the top of the page. Right? I should do that. But as Hashem is a nice thing to say as we go through a mirror Hashem, etc. It just means that HaKadosh Baruch has to be in your mouth. It shouldn't just be, it's all up to me. It's what I'm going to do. I'm involved. So therefore everything's going to work out. You're not saying that. What you're really doing is you're saying, HaKadosh Baruch please work it out that everything's going to be fine. You're asking HaKadosh Baruch to be involved there. You don't have to say the words in Yerza Hashem though it's a great thing to say, the point is, is that HaKadosh Baruch is involved in everything you do. That's the idea behind it. So Chas Hashem is fine. Well, that's awesome. Keep saying it. I, there is nothing bad with using Hashem's name. <laughs> I'm telling you, you're not being annoying. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe as a third grader, I get that being annoying. But like, no, you do it. Yeah. Baruch Hashem going around every single one of them. The Ksav Sofer says there are certain people who are absolutely amazing in accomplishing mitzvos bein adam lemakom. Unbelievable at it. When it comes to buying the best lul of an esrog, they're there. Making a sukkah that's beautiful, unbelievable. Having a seder, getting everything ready, the wine, the matzah, everything there, they're willing to spend thousands upon thousands of dollars in order to make sure that they're doing the bein adam lemakom mitzvos unbelievably well. They're medactic, down to the finest detail, these people. But bein adam lechavero, they'll steal a dollar from their grandmother. Still one dollar from their grandmother. If they can make sure they make an extra buck, they're going to make that extra buck in any way possible. So listen to what the Ksav Sofer says. He says, these people that are not paying attention to their Bein Adam Lechaver, they're only doing Bein Adam he says, it's so funny, he says, even if they don't do it outright, but they won't go the extra mile and be machmir on themselves. They'll be makel toward themselves and be machmir toward others. That's the type of people that there are. And their heter is, this is the heter, they have a great relationship with God. Me and God, we're like this. We're besties. We don't have to worry about anything. You have no idea how many times, I don't want to say, like things that I have to deal with where I'll say to a person, you know, maybe we could work on something and it's just like, Rabbi, me and, my, me and God, we're good. <laughs> we're good. We got this. Like, I, I hear you. I don't know how you got this relationship considering you, I've never seen you at davening. Like, I, I don't know. When does this happen? I, I'm down the close that somehow everything they do has to do with the God. Maybe they're saying him here at all the time. I have absolutely no idea. Maybe it is, Maybe but I, it's there. And that's the hatcher. The hatcher is, is that their bein adam lamakum is there, but they're just crooks. They're absolute crooks for one reason or another. And they assume that's enough to save them from judgment. Listen to what the Ksav Sofer says. Okay? He says, such a person is in for a rude awakening because ain mitzvah mechabe avera. You might have unbelievable mitzvahs when it comes to bin al-lamakom, but that's not going to extinguish or erase the averos that you have. A mitzvah does not erase averos. I, I learned this 
I, I, a long time ago, and it was based actually in the Sefer Tanya. We were learning Tanya before, where you look at the scale up in Shemayim. We always think of like mitzvos and averos, right? You have more mitzvos and averos that go down in that stat. And then you think like more mitzvos and averos, you go straight to Olam And that's the simple, simple explanation of the Gemara Rosh Hashanah and that Tezayim where it looks that way. But a mitzvah does not extinguish an avera. That means you're going to be punished for that avera. The hope is that you got punished for those averas in Olam Hazeh, and you don't have them waiting for you in Olam Hazeh. But if they're there, you don't lose them. You have to go to Gehenna to take care of them. They don't go out forever. They're there. And it's so too with the mitzvah. If a person's going to Gehenna, he still will get rewarded for the mitzvahs he's done. Just hopefully it's not in this world. Hopefully he'll get it after he finishes Gehenna. But it's always going to be. Tshuva is for sure. That's not, I'm not counting. Mitzvah is in holding on to a lulav and estrog will not take away the fact that you just cheated that guy out of, out of $100. You do tshuva, and again, we just said cheating a person in business is an extremely difficult tshuva to do because you can't pay the guy back. You have no idea what you just did, right? But if you do tshuva, of course that erases the, the avera. That for sure. I'm not, do, not from the fact that it's a mitzvah, but rather from the, the essence of what tshuva is. But the mitzvah, a random mitzvah will not erase an avera. And not only that, there are some mitzvahs being adam lamakom, not all of them. This is what I was trying to say before, Dave, that will be ignored and may even turn into a veros because of his actions toward other people. If you take money directly from a business deal that you cheated or did under the table, whatever it was, and you did something wrong and spent that on your lulav and esrog, it's as if you didn't do the lulav and esrog. I can't say that. The Ksab Sofer can say that. And such a person, he says, is a menayitz, a person who is despised by a Kaddish Baruch from what he had. That's mind-blowing. He says that's why the first question we're asked in Shemayim, it's a Gemara and Shabbos and Daphne and Aleph, the first question we're asked is, Nasosav and Asata Be'amuna. Did you do business with trust in a Kaddish Baruch Hu, Or did you cheat? The next question is, Kavata Itim Torah. Did you sit there? Because your Torah learning and your mitzvahs could be erased if you did it without that Amuna and a Kaddish Baruch Hu in your business. That's scary. That's unbelievably scary. And it's such a great diuk. Because if we first asked Kavati Yitzim and he said, yeah, oh, let's see what you learned, let's see your mitzvahs, let's see everything, and then we say Nasasav and Nasatav Amuna, we might, then we have to take away what we already gave you. Here it's Nasasav and Nasatav Amuna, then we get to the Torah learning and the mitzvahs that you've done. That's crazy. That's a crazy line, but it's clear from that that you, we don't want to make the kateger into a senegar. In other words, the senegar into a, a kateger, I should the opposite way. That the defendant should not become the accusator, the cu- accusation against you in Shemayim. And it's not like this mitzvah is a chok, something that we don't understand. Is there anyone in the world who doesn't understand this? You can't cheat in business? The whole world revolves around this. If you start cheating in business, if people start cheating, then clearly other things are going to happen. You want to tell me cheating on your taxes? All right, you know what? You got to go to a rub specifically and ask him very specific questions about what you're allowed to say and not allowed to say in your taxes. The fact that it's so hard to find a play group where my kids can play in, where they're, they're, they're telling exactly what they're doing and how much they're making and giving it to our taxes, I'm not... I have never poskin that way ever in my life, but I'm not a big posik and I'm not a big rabbi. I have no idea how that's allowed. I, I, I try to mention everything that I do, including the tutoring jobs that I have, but I don't know. Maybe, maybe I also have this issue. Uh, uh, specific things, I'm not going to say specifically, but let me, meaning things that might have to be mentioned tax-wise. I'm not going to get into that. I'm just not getting into it. That's a specific kasha for a kosher mishpat rav for that person to take care of, and I'm not a kosher mishpat rabbi, so they can take care of specifically what you have to mention, what you don't have to mention regarding taxes. Fine. Forget about that for a second. This is just cheating and lying. 
when it comes to a business deal, when it comes to anything like that. Yeah. Selling somebody, you know, less than what he paid for. Are you talking about like finding loopholes and regular? I mean, in no, 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 no. That's what I'm saying. I'm not getting into taxes and government issues. That's not what I'm getting into. I'm talking about cheating, actual cheating, lying to a person who you're doing a business deal with. A used car salesman saying there's nothing wrong with this car when they know there's something wrong with the car. You know, something like that, right? Do you have to mention, this is a big, you know, Shiloh in and of itself, like, do I have to mention everything that's wrong with my house when I'm selling it? Do I have to mention everything that's there? You know, that, that's, it's a Shiloh. So you, have to, you have to go through with your rub, with everything that's there, what do I have to mention, what do I not have to mention? No, you have to do that, and that's your job to be able to go through. But this is not a hoke. This is a mitzvah that makes sense, right? Being honest in business is vital to the world and how the world economy. That's that. This is why the end of the, the, end of the Parsha says, kol osei avel, the end of this, not the end of Parsha Kiseitze, but the end of this individual Parsha, kol osei avel. Because anyone, if you're willing to do this, then that could lead you to do something much worse for yourself, and you'll be left with nothing at all. As Rashi says, you do this, you'll lose everything. It's technically the last mitzvah. Bein adam lechavero and all of Sefer Devarim. That's how important it is. It's the last mitzvah. Yeah, there's hakel later, and yeah, writing a Sefer Torah is later, and tshuva, tshuva is a mitzvah del raisa, depending on, you know, Sefer Chinuch Rambam Ramban, right? Those are mentioned later on. But this is the actual last mitzvah of Sefer Dvarm that deals with Ben Adam Lechavero. There's Meister Shani, there's also, you know, whatever, there's a couple other mitzvahs, but none that are Ben Adam Lechavero. That's how important it is. That's how important it is that it is the end of the Torah when it comes to this. Ayala Shachar wonders, why the reward for being honest in business is living in Eretz Yisrael, right? So that you live in Eretz Yisrael is the wording in the Pasuk, in the land that I gave you. Why is that? Staying away from theft should be obvious. It should be automatic. But why all of a sudden over here, the Meamalai says a simple answer. Right? If you make sure your weights and measures are perfect, then a Kodesh Baruch will make sure your years are perfect. You'll live a full and charmed life. Where are you going to live that? It's not for Eretz Yisrael. Or, I, 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 there's no question that that's where it's going to be. That's something I'm always answering. The Al-Qadr Yashuni says, Mida Kineged Mida. HaKadosh Baruch who doesn't normally punish a person until Nisma'ale Se'eso. Everybody heard that line before? Like, if you have a bunch of Averas, if you do one Avera, HaKadosh Baruch won't punish you. You do another one, you do another one. Like, a kid in school. You know, like, if he does one thing, it's not that big of a deal. A second thing, a third thing, fourth thing. The twelfth thing might not be so big. But because he already did twelve things, he's kicked out. Do you get what I'm saying? Like, it's nismale se'esa. Once the, the basket is filled, then we have no choice but to throw you out. There's nothing else we can do. Says the Alkadar Gershuni, at some point, HaKadosh Baruch can overlook what you've done. But this person measured with a mida chaseira. You get it? He used a measuring stick or something that's a little bit less. So he judges you with a mida chaseira. He doesn't wait for it to fill up. He measures you with a smaller cup, so to speak. And that's what ends up happening to the person. It's a cool idea. It's told about the Chavetz Chaim that he was so careful when it came to business. And we know those stories where he saw that there might have been one thing wrong with the scale, so he made sure to give a little bit of flour back to every single person in the town, even if they never bought flour from him. But he wanted to make sure just in case, right, he went to around. There was one time where a poor person saw the way he was working and said, I, I want to be wealthy. I want to be able to make money. But there's no way that I could do what the Chavetz Chaim did. So... What am I supposed to do? I, I can't even get into business. And the Chavetz Chaim had to explain to him, this is, you know, he might be more of an extremist, but etc. That, that, that Chavetz Chaim said, when it comes to a story, you have to make sure that you have everything said. Rabbi Menachem Mendel of Riminov had a custom every Erev Rosh Chodesh of every month. They would go to check out all the stores and see if their weights and measures were exactly correct. So this is brought down 
in the Sefer Sipuri Hasidim by Rav Zevin, where he said one time he sent his son Rav Tzvi together with somebody else. They came to the store of a very wealthy man who was also known as the Talmud Chacham. He found a weight that was not correct. Right? So he went up to him and he said, what's going on here? The man said, I never used that weight. I didn't even know that I had it. I, I, I completely forgot about it. So he said, that might be so, right? But you can't even have an un, you know, a weight like that and use it as a urinal. As you said, Baba Vasra paid testament You can't even use it for anything. You can't have it in your house. So he said, the, the wealthy man said back to him, again, he's a little bit of a He said, oh, you're a posik now? You're a posik now? You're, you're going to tell me how to learn? That's what the guy said to Reb Tzvi, the son of Reb Menachem Mendel of Rimenov. So Ritzvi crushed it beneath his feet, and he left. He didn't say anything to his father about it. But the other man who was with him, the other person who was with Rebbe Nachman, son, he went to the Rebbe, and he told the Rebbe exactly what happened. The Rebbe made a speech in Shul that night. He invited everyone in the town to the speech, except for this man, except for this wealthy man. When the wealthy man heard that everybody was in Shul except for him, he ran into Shul, especially when he heard what it was about. He realized that it was all about him, and he wasn't, disinvited on purpose, he ran and Shul, ran up to the Rebbe, and he humbled himself. He said, please, let me do tshuva. Rebbe, I feel so horrible about what I did. Please let me do tshuva. So the Rebbe gave him a fine. It was a steep fine, right? And he told him that he wondered aloud, he wondered aloud in Shemayim, right, if the rabbi that would be giving his shir in Shemayim, this wealthy man, his shir in Shemayim, would be as learned as his son, Rav Tzvi. Right? That's what Renachem Mendel Rivenov said. As he was saying that, Rav Tzvi had his lips moving. Somebody went up to him and said, what are you doing? And Rav Tzvi said, I'm davening that he doesn't get punished immediately, right? Because he was afraid that his father, so angry at this man, that the guy would just drop dead. He was davening that he wouldn't drop dead, right? This is how serious they took it. Can you imagine somebody going around, month to month going around? Now, again, in every store where they have scales, there's a weights and measures thing, and it tells you when they last checked the scale. They show you that thing right there. I don't know if anybody's ever checked, because we're not so mocked on, you know, a couple cents. And if there's a tiny little bit of corned beef that's, you know, left on the scale, I don't know if we're so mocked about it. But they have to be mocked about it. I don't even know what the deal is if a store has workers who are doing it, and the workers aren't mocked but the store owner is mocked, but he can't be there all the time. Like Jewel, right? What does that person do in Jewel? Who owns Jewel? What, who's getting punished if somebody leaves a tiny little bit of whatever it is? It doesn't even appear on skill. It's still 0.00. But in an infinitesimal amount, right, there is something there and they should have cleared it off. Who gets punished for that? I really don't know. I don't know what the deal is. Like it's not the olden days where a mom pop store, you know, that's what they own. Mazi, what were you going to say? infinitesimal? Oh, there's no other T. Good times. This is why I read Reader's Digest. So either way, so that's that. One time, Rav David Alalov, the lover Rebbe, got up early to learn and was all ready in his talus and tefillin. Suddenly, a non-Jew knocked on the door and he asked for a half a log of beer. This is a great story. Okay, so lover Rebbe went. His workers, his family wasn't up yet. They weren't up yet. I'm sorry? <laughs> it's morning time. This guy, no, he wanted it for later. So either way, so he ran to go do it himself, right? The non-Jew then asked for a lower price. Because he can spill a little bit out so I can get a lower price and whatever. The Redover promptly closed the door. That was that. He spilled the beer back into the barrel, went right back to his learning, to his davening. So if Yitzchok of Vorka was there, so he looked at him and he said, I don't understand. What was your havamina? What was your maskana? You went originally to open up the door and, you know, and then you ran to go get it and then you didn't want to haggle the price. What's going on? What's the, what's the issue over here? He told him, listen, when he said he wanted a certain amount of beer, he said, oh, I could be Makayim, the mitzvah sase of Eifah Shlema Vetzedek Yelach. 
That's what he said. I could be Makayim the mitzvah say of having an exact amount, making sure it's that amount and measuring it out. How often do I get that? My family gets to do that, but I don't get to do it. So I was going to get to do it, but then when I realized it was just haggling, it was just a whatever it is, like the little bad whatever it is, then it's not going to be an eifa shleim of ascetic. It's not going to be based on that. Forget it. I don't need it. I don't need the money. So he threw it back inside the barrel. Back to go learn. Is that an unbelievable story? Like, I, I never, ever thought of it this way, but it's true. If you have, if a guy asks you for a half a cup of something or a cup or whatever, and you're selling it to him, to measure out the cup, a perfect cup, and to give it to him, it's a mitzvah sasei. It's a, it's a mitzvah. We should run to go do it. Now, it doesn't apply if, you know, your neighbor asks you for a cup of sugar or whatever, something like that, because then we're not mocked. And that seems to be the minigan. Even if we're paying back and lending, borrowing, whatever it is, we're usually not mocked at all. That's usually what everybody holds. Even Hosha Mishpo is usually we're very makele about stuff like that. But it's so interesting. If you're mamish in the sales business, you're selling, I don't know, let's just say, you're selling herring out of your house, right? And you're selling herring and you want a certain amount that's inside there, a certain weight that you're selling it as. And I don't know, maybe the guy's selling whatever, but if you're selling a certain weight, it's a mitzvah sasei to give them exactly that amount. Not 0.999 and 1.001. To do 1.00 is a mitzvah sasei. Make sure to do it. It's such an unbelievable story. Yeah. Ah, oh, that's another side. Yeah, I can't tell you. I can't tell you. I, I, I don't know what the... I, I'm honest. I, I'm not into the herring business, so I'm not sure. But Yeah. Right, but that's, that's a really, really good call. When it comes to that, there might be certain exceptions where you can't do it, and what can you do, right? If you can't do it because ugh, you're going to sit there in line, everybody's going to be upset in line waiting for you to get 1.00 and do exactly that, but at least give more than as opposed to less than, and that should be obvious, yeah, but right? I think so, and that's what I was saying. I think we're pretty makele when it comes to that, but if you're the store owner, and that per- you can't assume that that person's going to be, you, again, be machmer. Exactly yeah, be machmer. You, and you're right, you're right. Because if you're doing 1.01, then usually it comes out to per pound times that amount, and that's what you're paying for. We can do that nowadays. That's pretty easy. Obviously, nowadays, it, it doesn't apply for many of us. Many of us don't have this issue. But listen to this. Elena Lushabach says there was a hush of woman who passed away in the summer of 2004. Her name was Mrs. R. Herschler. He, he didn't mention her first name. It was Rachel Rifka, but R. Herschler, who she asked the following. She, she wanted, she kept trying to get a hold of Rebel Yashiv to ask him a shayla. Eventually, she got in. And she asked the following. She was a teacher in a certain Beis Yaakov seminary, right, for many, many years in Yerushalayim. Right, there were obvious, there were breaks between the classes. In between those breaks, she would go to make her coffee. Now, sometimes the coffee would take a little bit to cool down, and she wanted to make a brain of fashos. She held, not like the chsam sofer, that in order to make a brain of fashos on your coffee, you have to drink a whole cheekful all at once. Can't do that if it's super hot. So she had to wait for it to cool down in order to do that so that she could make her brain of fashos. But sometimes when she waited, she would be a minute or two late to her next class. You know, and she was doing it, though, in order to make her brain of fashos. But she knew that that happened many, many times where she would wait and wait and wait in order, whatever it was, and she lost. If you count up all those minutes of all those days that she would have been late because she was doing that, etc., right, then she had taken money from the seminary because they were paying her per class, and she wasn't doing, let's say it was a 15-minute class. It wasn't 50 minutes. It was only 48 minutes. She went to her and she said, how do I pay it back? <laughs> Can you imagine that? So Eliyasha first said, he said, I wish we had more Shilas like that in Claudius Hall. 
I wish these were the Shilas that we got in Kalah Yisrael. But he said, it's a great question. He said, two reasons you don't have to pay it back. Number one, they know you're not a Malach. They know you're a human being. There's no way that you can come on time and be there the whole time during class the entire time. There's no way. There's no way. And obviously, this is that. He said, there's no way whatsoever. Number two, the coffee that you're drinking, the tea that you're drinking, right, is helping you teach. So it's not something that you didn't need and whatever it is. It's something that was helping you to get through the next class, the next, you know, bunch of girls, etc. said, for those two reasons, I'm okay with it. You don't have to worry. You can go ahead and you can keep doing it and you don't have to pay anything back. She didn't care. She went the next week to the head of the seminary and she gave him a very large check and she said she made an assumption she has been doubt for the last 40 years that she was teaching how many classes she thinks on average per year that she might have been late for because of this coffee and therefore took off that amount of money based on her salary and gave that check to the seminary is that unbelievable? She passed away a couple, a couple weeks later. Rebel Yashiv said, the Muster Haskell here is that if a person would be mavatal time that they should be teaching, listen, everybody, we're normal, okay? We're not expecting perfection. That's just not an expectation for anybody. But if you do that, they probably should pay back something for the time that they wasted. If they wasted, if they wasted it, then they probably should pay something back. Now, again, you have to judge it together with everybody else, what you're doing, etc. You're an hourly paid worker. What are you really getting paid for, etc.? It's a great question. It's a great question. I know from my house, I have a cleaning lady. The lady does not stop working for three hours straight. Does not stop working. When I ask her if she wants a drink, she's like, when I'm done. <laughs> like, I'm surprised she even answers me. She works like a dog for three hours straight, and then after, and I always tell her, I'm not Mokbid. I don't use that word, right? I actually do it through, I think it's through Google Translate because she doesn't speak English and I don't speak Spanish, right? But I say, like, I, I'm not Mokbid. I don't care. Don't worry about it. You can take a drink. You can eat something. You can have something. No, she works for three hours straight, does not waste a second. And I completely and utterly respect that. It's an unbelievable thing to see. Whenever she comes over, it's like one big, long muster schmooze watching her work for three hours, right? And obviously without yichud issues, right? That would be, it's, it's unbelievable, absolutely unbelievable. The Torah more, there's a Torah more here. I'm not going to go into that right now. I want to end off with one thing, and I have a little bit of time to do it. You ready? The Grah used to say that all of Sefer Devarim hints to what would happen in the thousand years between the year 5,000 and 6,000. To go through, Bereshus is the year z- 1 until the year 2,000. Shmos is 2,000 to 3,000. Vayikra is 3,000 to 4,000. Bamibor is 4,000 to 5,000. Devarim is 5,000 to 6,000. Every Parsha is 100 years from the 5,000 to 6,000 level. So, for example, Devarim is 5,000 to 5,100. Vayeschanan is 5,100 to 5,200, etc. Nitzavim Vayelech coming to 5,700 to 5,800, which means in the year 5,781, we're toward the end of Parsha's Vayelech. Okay, so that's that. He said, unfortunately, the terrible things that have happened to us with World War I and World War II, the Holocaust, etc., obviously is the tochacha of Parshish Kisavu in the beginning of Nitzavim, which also starts off in not such a great way. And the Tshuva movement, which is Parshish Nitzavim, was after that, the beginning, you know, 1950 to 1980, etc. That makes sense. There's a lot of things that you can learn from this. The different things from every Parsha. So Chaim Velazhin once asked the Vilnagon where his name was hinted to. Right in Parshas Kiseitze, because according to the Vilna Gros, the Vilna Gons Vorts, he would have been in Parshas Kiseitze. So he asked, which one, 5,500 or 5,600? Toward the end of the 5,500s, you know, this would be like 1720, right? Around that time, where are you hinted to? And he was told, 
that he's hinted to by the words Evan Shlema Vatzedek Yelach. Evan Shlema is Evan is Aleph for Eliyahu, Ben Shlema is Shlomo. Eliyahu Ben Shlomo. And that's his father's name, Shlomo. So he, Rav Chaim Velazhner asked where his name was hinted to, and either the Grah told him and the Rav Chaim Velazhner didn't want to say it, or the Grah didn't know. One of the two. Later, the Grah told someone else that the Aleph stands for Pella. The reason why his whole name isn't there, it's only Aleph, and that stands for Eliyahu, is because of Pella, because his Torah was a wonder. It came from a different sort of place, and it was different from the scholars who were before him. And that's why his name is not mentioned directly, only through the word out, the letter Aleph, which stands for Pella. That's why the Sefer with, by Rabbi Yisrael of Shklov, that he named for the Vilna Gon, is called Evan Shlema. That's what it's called, because this is where the Gruz name is hinted to in the Torah. He called the name of the Sefer Evan Shlema. At some point, someone asked the Gruz why his father's full name wasn't used, because his father's name was Shlomo Zalman. So why is it Eliyahu ben Shlomo? It should be Eliyahu ben Shlomo Zalman. Why is Zalman out there? He said that it is. Because if you take the ben out of Evan and the lamed memhe out of Shlomo, that's the gematria of Zalman. <laughs> is that unbelievable? Ben and Lama is Zalman. But regardless, the truth is, does anybody know this? Zalman is Shlomo. Zalaman is Salomon. For Shlomo. So do you know that? Shlomo and Zalman are the same name. There's no difference between them, right? So Shlomo Zalman is fine. But either way, but he said that it is hinted to right over here. Rav Isaac Osban, he said that the Vilna Gom's mother's name was Trina, the gematria of 280, the same gematria of Vatsedek Yelach. <laughs> is that unbelievable? Evan Shlomo's Elio Ben Shlomo and Zalman inside there. Vatsedek Yelach is his mother's name, Trina. Tes Reish Yudud is that unbelievable? Unbelievable stuff. Take this step farther, further. The Pardes Yosef says this Pusik is number 5,557 in the Torah. As a timeout, I didn't check up if that's correct or not. I didn't have a computer, whatever it is to do that. So number 5,557 in the Torah. The Vilna Gon was Nifter in the year 5,558. He said, obviously that means something. I don't know what. I don't know what that means. Okay, the Aruch HaSholchan said he also searched for his own name and he found it at the end of Parshas Shoftim. He said, the words Yavo, the letters Yavo stand for Yechiel ben Aaron. He said, anyone can do this if they try hard enough. Right? The Chsam Sofer also found the name of the Rambam in the Rashi Tevis. Rabos Mofse Be'eretz Mitzrayim. The Rashi Tevis is the Rambam. Right? Again, you have to find it. I don't know if that works out perfectly because Parsha Shotim is before Parsha's Kiseitse. Right? The Aruch HaShokhan lived after the Vilna Gon. I don't know what that means exactly. But either way... I thought, though, that I could add on to this. And I'm going to say this, you know, obviously this is my own, and I don't know if it really counts, but I will tell you it's pretty awesome. There's a famous machlokas that he had with the Hasidim, right? Especially at his time, he argued with the Balatanya. If you say Evan Shlema is the Vilna Gon, Vatsedek Yelach means that he was right. The Vilna Gon was right. But then Eifa Shlema, Vatsedek Yelach, Eifa Shlema, if you add on the five, le- the five letters of the Balatanya, Hatanya and the five letters is 471, the same gematria as Eifa Shlema. But Tzedek Yelach is that Eluv Eilu Divrei Elohim Chaim. Eluv Eilu Divrei Elohim That Evan Shlema but Tzedek Yelach for the Vilna Gon. Eifa Shlema for the Balatanya but Tzedek Yelach. And Eluv Eilu Divrei Elohim Chaim. And maybe that's the idea that both of them were L'Shem Shemayim. Both of them meant it in the right way. And maybe that's the hint to what the Vilna Gon was saying over there without saying it that still everybody had their way. All right, we'll stop with that, guys. Just, we should be honest with business. Have a good Shabbos.